Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read from the fifth verse. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. We'll leave it at that point. Just to say, I've read it there from this version, the New International Version. Um, others, I know, use different versions, the ESV and so on. Just to say, at this point, uh, the NIV that I'm using doesn't serve us particularly well. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'll be sort of moving from this into um, basically my own translation. <laughs> But I said, if you want to borrow a Bible, you can have one. But I'll tell you, it doesn't serve you particularly well at this point. But keep it open, just so you can make sure I'm not leading you astray. In these verses, from verse 5 onwards, here in this, uh, in this version, it says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Other versions would say those who live according to the flesh. It's a very difficult passage to translate. Now, literally, those translations that say flesh, they've got it in a way right. That is what the Greek word means, the flesh. But that's, I can understand why the NIV doesn't translate it like that, because it's kind of misleading. What does flesh mean? Well, it means this. It means the, the, the meat on the bones. And so where it refers to the flesh, we could think that just means our body, which it doesn't mean here. And so these translators have said, well, to avoid that misunderstanding, let's use this expression, sinful nature. Well, that again is not over-helpful because that implies it's something that we've got rather than something that we are. And so it is a very difficult phrase to translate, a very difficult concept. So I will be using the expression flesh But just to be clear, we are not talking there just about our body. We're not talking about flesh and blood. What it means, it's an idea of life without God, a godless life, or the the powerful influence of godlessness. It's... and. The, the word is flesh, but that's what it means. It's a difficult to say. There's no one word that can really translate it. So when I refer this morning to the flesh, what I'm talking about is this kind of influence of godlessness. And here in this passage, Paul is talking. He's begun the, the chapter by saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. He's talking about being in Christ. Now, in this passage, he's talking about two forces, two influences. The the question really is, who's pulling your strings? On the one hand, there's this concept, flesh. On the other hand, there's the spirit. There's the spirit of God, and then there's this influence of godlessness. And so the issue is, who's pulling our strings? And Paul will will speak about uh, this as, as a position. He'll speak about a mindset, a way of thinking, and he'll speak about a lifestyle, a way of living. And so the question, as I say, is who's pulling your strings? And indeed, one could say, right now, as you are sitting there, as you are apparently listening, who's pulling your strings? The Spirit of God or this Spirit of Godlessness? And as I'm speaking to you, how am I doing that? In the flesh or in the Spirit? Now, Paul is going to speak then about these two influences, and uh, he speaks about, first of all, a a position. In verse 8, ignoring what the NIV says, it says, those in the flesh cannot please God. Those in the flesh cannot please God. Then the following verse, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's what it actually says. So it's talking about a position, being either in the flesh or in the spirit. We are not in the flesh anymore. We are now in the spirit. When he says in the spirit, he's not talking about some, something kind of mystical. There are those branches of the Christian church who, in their attempt to get in the spirit, kind of work themselves up into a frenzy where they no longer know the time of day. That's not what it means. It's talking about our position. Are we in this principle of godlessness or in the spirit? And we, he says, you are, you are not, he says, in you, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. That is our position. How is that our position? Well, because a Christian is someone who has been born again. A new birth. Jesus speaks about that in John chapter 3. And as he speaks about that, he's talking to one of the leaders of the Jews, Nicodemus. Nicodemus can't understand what Jesus is talking about. He says, surely you can't enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born again. Jesus refers to this in verse 8 of John chapter 3 as being born of the Spirit. When we're born again, this is an activity of the Spirit. When we are born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is now in us, and we are in this new position in the Spirit. It's, It's as a result of being born again. The Spirit of God has come into us to make us God's children. We are now living in this new position, no longer in godlessness. We're born again, and we're now in the Spirit. And so back in Romans chapter 8, he says that in verse 9. He says it, and then verse 14, he says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And he goes on to speak of a spirit of adoption that makes us God's children. Here, 
he is talking not about what we call baptism in the Spirit. Here he is talking about being born again. If the, the means by which we become a Christian is an activity of the Spirit of God. And now the Spirit is in us, and we are in the realm of the Spirit. So who pulls our strings? Well, the new influence in the life of everyone who is born again is the Spirit of God. That's the, the principle by which we live. That's our position, Paul is saying here, and it's so important that we realize that. Otherwise, we become kind of creatures of two worlds. It's as if there are two parallel tracks. There's godlessness and there's the spirit. The problem is they don't stay parallel. These paths, these tracks begin to diverge. And if we've got one foot in one and one in the other, we end up rather uncomfortably doing the splits. You can't live like that. You can't be, be governed by a, this principle of godlessness and the Spirit of God. Because almost every decision we make belongs exclusively on either one path or the other. Every opinion that we have depends exclusively, is exclusively in either one path or the other. You can't live in these two worlds. That's why Paul is teaching us. He's, he's saying that we're in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, it's this new realm of the Spirit. There is this other principle, however, the flesh. You can't live in both worlds. You are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. He says it pretty starkly. We've got to understand it if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. He says it pretty starkly. We've got to understand it. We cannot be creatures of two worlds. We've got to decide which side we're on. And if we're born again, the decision is made. The moment we repent of our godlessness... We turn in faith to Christ. We move out of one position into another. Now, that position affects how we think. It affects our mindset. And so, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh. It, it affects how you think. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. There are two totally different ways of thinking. Our position affects how we think. The mind of the flesh or the mind of the Spirit. Verse 6, the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. And he goes on to say that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So the crucial thing is our mind, how we are thinking. Two different locations mean two very different ways of thinking. The mind of the flesh. And what he says here, the mind of the flesh is death, verse 6. Not that he doesn't say the mind of the flesh leads to death, he says, it is death. In other words, the, the flesh is godlessness 
And the mind of godlessness is cut off from the life of God. It is devoid of life. The mind of the flesh is death. Now, what is that mind? Well, I'll give you some examples from the Scripture. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Peter tur- Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You don't mind the things of God. You are minding the things of men. Two different ways of thinking. Now, there, as you look at what Peter says, he doesn't do anything wicked. He doesn't say anything wicked. What he says is well-intentioned. It's encouragement he thinks. He thinks perhaps, I mean, he's a good friend of Jesus, and it looks like Jesus is getting a bit depressed. It looks like Jesus is thinking, this is just not going to work. The, what's stacked against us is too much, I think. I think they're going to get me. No, Lord, they won't. Look on the, keep your chin up. Look on the bright side. That's really what Peter is saying. Never, Lord, this won't happen to you. It's well-intentioned encouragement in the flesh. It's not in the spirit. Because what Jesus is saying is not depression. It's revelation. This is what is going to happen. This is why Jesus came. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Peter hasn't grasped that. Peter's just operating according to worldly wisdom. The mind of the flesh isn't necessarily wicked. It's just worldly wisdom. Worldly ways of talking. Indeed, the way we could talk to one another. The kind of advice we give, the kind of encouragement we give, just without hearing God, just well-intentioned encouragement that isn't necessarily what comes from God. Well, how about 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 Paul says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the flesh. It it just can't be understood. One commentator on this passage refers to something that happened way back in the, the late 18th century. Two famous men with the name of William. William Wilberforce and William Pitt the Younger. William Wilberforce, of course, achieved fame as the man responsible for the abolition of the slave trade. William Pitt the Younger, Prime Minister. They were both very close friends. William Wilberforce was saved. He was born again. He converted. He became a Christian. His good friend, William Pitt the Younger, remained unchanged 
And one of William Wilberforce's great concerns was for his, his good friend, the Prime Minister, William Pitt, that he should be saved. And there was a, a famous preacher in London that Wilberforce loved to listen to, and he would invite his friend along, but his friend didn't want to come. Eventually, his friend came along. William Pitt came along with Wilberforce to listen to this preacher. And it was one of those Sundays where the preacher was really on form. Those Sundays do come occasionally. And on that particular Sunday, the preacher was really on form. Wilberforce is sitting there drinking it in, so thrilled that this is the very Sunday when his friend has come along with him. So he's drinking it in, he's thinking, wonder what he's thinking. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. The truth of the gospel. An evangelical preacher flying with it, just bringing out the gospel. It was wonderful stuff. They got up after the meeting to leave, and Wilberforce didn't have to wait long to discover what his friend thought, because his friend turned to him and said, in effect, well, Wilberforce, I haven't a clue what he was on about. It's wonderful preaching, but his friend couldn't make head or tail of it. The man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Foolishness. The, f- the flesh, the Spirit. Which is why I said, are we in the Spirit or in the flesh? These things matter, even to how we hear the Word of God. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the next chapter, and verse 3. Paul says, you are still worldly, or you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not in the flesh? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? You're still in the flesh. He's talking here to people whose position is actually, they're in the Spirit, they're saved. But They've forgotten their position and the way they're thinking is wrong. They're thinking in the old way. They're not thinking in the way that's appropriate to their new position. How is that evident? Well, jealousy and quarreling. And then this choosing which of their leaders they prefer. He spells it out indeed in the the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas. And he says in chapter 3, this is just the flesh. Bit of a coincidence that there are three leaders there, and we happen to have three elders. I'm not making any special point here. But it's worldly thinking to choose which you prefer. Why? Because the Spirit of God puts these people in position. It's the Spirit who puts elders in position. It's certainly the the Spirit who puts apostles in position. And they're not thinking according to the Spirit. They're just making fleshly choices. You're just behaving like mere men. Or I guess the clearest understanding of these different ways of thinking is in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, Verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just a random list, really, of ways of thinking and behaving that come from the flesh. And notice, it's a wide spectrum there of things that we would excuse, perhaps, jealousy, envy, right through to the other end of the spectrum, witchcraft, and everything in between. These are just things that are pretty normal at one end of the spectrum. Normal, normal human responses. It's the flesh. You you get people who say, worryingly, they say, I find the Bible boring. I just can't get into it. I find it boring. How do we respond to that? We can either think, well, we need to make it more interesting then. Or perhaps we need to think, are they born again? Maybe what they need is not for the Bible to be made more interesting, but for the Spirit of God to change them. Because the Bible is breathed out by the Spirit. And if we're in the Spirit, we recognize what the Spirit says. It is not boring. It's words of life. So normal human responses that Christians can just think like it without realizing, hey, I'm in the wrong position here. I've been translated out of that position. I'm in a new position. I'm now in the position of the Spirit. And in this new position, there's a new way of thinking. And I need to get hold of this new way of thinking. I need to allow the Spirit to lead me into all truth. I need my mind to be changed. Indeed, Paul in chapter 12 is going to speak about being transformed by our mind being renewed. Who renews our mind? The Spirit. It's possible to be walking two paths and doing the splits. Where in Christ, in the Spirit, and yet the way we think, it's as if we're still in the old way. And we still trot out the old opinions, the old ways of reacting, the old ways of thinking. That is not where we are. Rather, Paul says, we, are, we have the mind of the Spirit. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. So that's where we are. We, are, we have the mind of the Spirit. Those who are according to the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. And really, the mind of the Spirit is the opposite of all that we've seen is the mind of the flesh. It's a different way of thinking where we don't just trot out worldly wisdom we don't make human choices, human preferences. We don't, we don't just switch off at the things of the Spirit. No, we, there's a, an understanding, there's an appreciation, there's a different way of reacting. And so, how do we, how do we react to the normal things? Say, this last week, the snow that has been so disruptive. Well, as a church, we've had to cancel things. So, last Tuesday, was last Tuesday? No, last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, there should have been a ladies' night. A lot of work had gone into that, a lot of preparation, a lot of praying. This is a big event leading up to Christmas, and transport is hired, and everything's laid on, and then we can't do it because of the snow. 
How do we respond to that? Obviously, disappointment. And then, as the week wore on, had to consider our prayer meeting. When we gather to pray on a Friday, that is so, so important. But it's dangerous to come out. Freeze up, snowing, cancel the prayer meeting. This is so frustrating. Last year, we cancelled our carol service, which is one of the biggest events of the year. What's going to happen next weekend and the weekend after? Will we find we're cancelling things again? Oh, this is so frustrating. How do we respond in the flesh? I don't understand it. I don't, we've worked into it. What's wrong? We might even think, what's God doing? It's a good thing we didn't sing that song this morning about storehouses laden with snow, isn't it? wonder how we'd have sung it. But anyway, we can respond in that way, just sheer frustration. In the Spirit, we have a totally different perspective. Yes, we're still disappointed. Of course we're disappointed. And frustrated, perhaps. But we do understand a much bigger picture that Paul indeed is going to go on to speak about later on in this very chapter, in Romans chapter 8. I consider, he says in verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Creation waits in eager expectation. We see creation was subjected to frustration. That's true. It goes on to say, all creation has been groaning. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. But what makes us groan? We're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. In this hope we're saved. Got a much bigger picture. Yes, the world is full of frustration. There are things you plan. There are things you hope for. And it doesn't work out. But that's this world. But we understand that that's this world. And we're not put off by it. We're not thrown by it. Because we know God is in control. We know the whole world belongs to him. And we know there's a glorious day coming that we've just been singing about. And all creation is groaning. It's in pain. There's a day of liberation coming. And we're believing for that. So yes, of course we groan. But we're not thrown by it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul Speaks of, gives his own testimony there, really, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, is it 1 Corinthians chapter 4? No, I think it's, uh, yeah, no, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, I, wrong reference. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Where do do we fix our eyes? If we're in the flesh, we just fix our eyes on what's visible. That's all there is, and it gets us down. Yeah, typically British would say, mustn't grumble, but that doesn't stop us doing it. Because that's all we can see, and oh, it's, it's a pain. We like the snow. The first day it comes, you get excited. You look out, oh, isn't this wonderful? After a week of it, and that's, that's where you are if you're just in the flesh. But no, we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but what's unseen. Say, Father, what are you doing here? We're trusting you. We don't have to understand it. We do trust you. 
And we know that in everything, you're working for the good of those who love you. And we know that finally we're going to see you and we're going to be judged by how we respond to all of this. And we're responding well, Lord, as you give us grace. We're in the spirit. We're not thrown by the tragedies, the suffering, the unanswered prayers, all of that stuff. We've got a bigger picture in the spirit because the spirit shows us what is ahead and that motivates us and that's life and peace Paul says here so a position we're in the spirit a way of thinking a mindset we we respond differently and that of course leads to a different lifestyle a position affects how we think and how we think affects how we live. So in verse 4 here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, who, people who, us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh. It's talking about how we live. Our position affects how we think. How we think affects how we live. Now, the very fact that Paul has to say it here, indicates that living according to the flesh remains a sad, distinct possibility. Our bodies, while the word flesh is not referring just to our body, nonetheless, our body is kind of programmed to worldly ways, worldly ways of acting, worldly ways of responding. And as long as we are in this body... It will be changed one day. We will be changed. But in this, as long as we're in this body, living according to the flesh remains a sad possibility. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. Two ways of living. Now, if we've not realized our position, then our thinking won't change. And if our thinking doesn't change, our life certainly won't. It's vital then that we understand that we haven't simply kind of become Christians by just kind of a trickle effect. That we've started going to church, and the longer we've gone to church, and the longer we've been amongst Christian people, something kind of rubs off, and, oh, I'm now a Christian. No, you are a Christian when you're born again. It's not trickle effect. It's radical change, a supernatural change. It's the Spirit of God who, who causes us to be born again, born of the Spirit. Radical change. Because of that radical change, our mind, our opinions, our attitudes, it changes. And then the way we live must change. We must see that we are not who we used to be. That we think differently. We think differently from the people around us. We are bombarded with ways of thinking that we say, yeah, I understand why you think like that, but that's because you don't know God. But 
when we know God, everything changes. We're in the Spirit. So living according to the flesh remains a possibility. There's this conflict. Now back in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, Paul says, Brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. There is an obligation. It is possible for Christians, and Paul's letters to the Corinthians makes that clear, it is possible for Christians to live in a way that's indistinguishable from people around. Quarreling, jealousy, falling out with one another, preferences about leaders, and all of that stuff. And even their use of spiritual gifts was worldly. They're just showing off. It's all wrong. It's possible for Christians to live like that. That's why the New Testament is given to us. We need to see my position has changed. My thinking changes. Therefore, my life changes. And I've got an obligation. And this obligation is not to the flesh. We are under an obligation to the one who has saved us. Jesus laid down his life for us. He died in our place so that our sin is fully dealt with. He rose again so that a new life becomes available to us. We are in Christ. He's dealt with sin and death, our sin, our death. He's raised to life. We're raised in him. We owe it to him to live in this new life. We have an obligation. It's not just, well, maybe... It's all right for some. If you are born again, you're under an obligation, Paul is saying. Now, we like to say, and Paul likes to say, no, we're in grace. Yes, we are in grace. But there's an obligation that goes with it. And this obligation is not to the flesh to live according to it. We owe it to our Savior to live for him. So, therefore, verse 13, he says, By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. We recognize that our our flesh will lead us astray. We recognize all these responses of natural sympathy, natural self-pity, all these natural responses. We think, hey, that is natural. But I live according to the Spirit. Now, what's a spiritual way to respond? What's a spiritual way to act? What does the Spirit of God want me to do? And we've heard words this morning encouraging us to get beyond the normal, to get beyond the natural, to see what the Spirit of God can do. And we've got an obligation, it's not just maybe, to live according to the Spirit, to put to death then the misdeeds of the body. How do we do that? By the power of the Spirit. And Paul, elsewhere, he's pretty rigorous in what he says. He says, I beat my body to make it my slave. We can't be just lighthearted about this. We can't be flippant about it. It's an obligation. We've been translated out of one kingdom into another. Now we've got to live in that. And the perspective Paul has here is that we don't live according to what our body wants. He says, If Christ is in you, verse 10, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Our body will die. And therefore, because this body is heading for the grave, we don't owe it anything. We don't give it our allegiance. We don't pamper it. 
We don't just do what naturally, physically we want. Our body will die. But then he goes on to say, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Yes, this body is heading for the grave, but that's not the end of the story. This body is heading for the grave, but the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us up, and we will live forever with the Lord. And therefore, our obligation is not to this body, it's to the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit who gives us life, and it's the Spirit who will bring us to glory. That's where we're heading. That's the way we think, and therefore that's how we live. It's an obligation. We live to the Spirit. So the question Paul is raising here is, who pulls our strings? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? It is always one or the other. We cannot live in two worlds because doing the splits is pretty uncomfortable. And if you do the splits, to try and then walk along is impossible. You can't go on divergent paths. It's the flesh, the spirit, the flesh leading to death, the spirit leading to life. We're being brought, brought out of that into the kingdom of God, into the spirit. That's our position. Then we've got to learn to think differently. Where do we get the instruction? Here in God's word, given by the spirit. And then having learned to think differently, it inevitably affects our lives. Now, there's no room for complacency. Paul is pretty stark here. One, one path leads to death. Salvation brings us off that path, but why live on it still? No room for complacency, although we are wonderfully secure. There, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wonderfully secure, but not complacent. What we see here is the imperative we must be genuinely born again. Have you been born again? Have you drifted in, sort of getting Christian by a sort of principle of osmosis? You've kind of absorbed Christianity. No, 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 that's not being born again. That's being Christianized. It's getting religion. No, we need to be born. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Born again by the Spirit. We must be born again. Jesus makes that an imperative. You must be born again. And having been born again, then there's a new life to claim. It's different. Different mindset, different lifestyle, and wonderfully different destiny, and wonderfully different possibilities. A new life to claim and a new life to hold on to, and to totally reject the other way. On a daily basis, every decision, every response, the possibility is the flesh or the spirit. And we're called to live by the spirit. There's, there's an obligation. Brothers, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. We're being translated out of that. Let's enjoy what Jesus has brought us into. Let's pray.